interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 99, our, our penultimate episode before the big 100 of Not a Robot Podcast's DC Comics Review Show. And uh, everyone is so excited on my end that, that uh, they're, they're honking in the street. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, you can tell they're just really, really anxious for that 100th episode. But as always, I have my amazing co-host here with me. Rob? Yeah, that, that's that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I, that, that caught me off guard, I'm going to be honest Christ. with you. I, I didn't, even, I didn't yeah. even know what I was going to say, but that's an entrance. We're like, my my apartment is like right in the middle of a busy street and there's always like fire trucks and cop cars going nearby and it's just a pain. Uh, anyway. It happens. Yeah. Uh, and Josh, how you doing? Howdy humans, and I appreciate all the fanfare. Yes. Uh, this week we will be covering all of the new DC books, uh, as well as some others that we think are worth mentioning but won't get into too much uh, detail on. Make sure you stick around until the end of the episode to hear our top three books of the week, our biggest stinker, and to find out which titles may just make the dump list. If you would like to support us further, of course, visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash podcast for either a one-time donation or subscription for access to our Discord, as well as other exclusive content available on the network. So, with that being said, and all the honking done, let's get into some news. Guys, what's new in comics this week? Well, just announced today, we have in September, September 27th actually to be exact, there is spinning out of a story we will be talking about later today, a new Tim Drake ongoing series. And yes, this is being billed as an ongoing series. So this time next year, we're not reading solicits and wondering if it's a miniseries. It says ongoing, so remember that. And it will be written by Megan Fitzmartin and drawn by, according to DC website, fan favorite artist, Harley Quinn superstar, Riley freaking Rosmo. And I think I speak for us all when everybody at Not A Robot is very happy to hear that news. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> well, I don't hate it, uh, but I, I don't know if it's the strongest team to, to launch it. Well, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say it's, it's the strongest team to launch a new book. Yeah, but maybe that's a good thing. I, the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, maybe, you know, you set your expectations low and you're surprised. So I'm, I'm going to yeah. keep myself uh, optimistic. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see how it goes. I, I, for one, am not hating on Megan Fitzmartin's Tim Drake so far. And obviously I'm, I'm very vocal about how much I've enjoyed Riley Rossmo's art, but I'm not sure if he's the right fit for this book. Mm-hmm. I guess it'll depend on what the tone of the story is first and foremost. Because yeah. Um, yeah, if, it, if it, what we've had, it's going to be way Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think, Rob, you said you'd read, um, do you remember Deathbed? Yes. For a little while that ago? Yeah. That was my introduction to both Joshua Williamson and Riley Rosmo. Yeah. I really so that's enjoyed a, that. Yeah, that, that's a book that's like definitely very fitting for his style. Um, yeah. So I guess we'll just have to see how this one goes. Yeah. If you say so. <laughs> telling uh-huh. you Josh, check out Deathbed. It might, yeah. might change your mind on both of those. It's creators. not going to change my mind, no matter what. Not no matter a surprisingly what the good tone read. of the book is. Yeah, it, they were. They were. That's fine. 
there were no some, matter there what were the definitely tone of the book uh, is, that style of art just, I mean, if you can call it that, I'm just not, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think even the most stubborn of people can change. I mean, I, I, I talk about it all the time, but I was vehemently against Frank Quitely for years. Couldn't stand to look at it. Made me want to puke. Now I love it. Right. So I think I think it just depends on on where you see it. Right. Sometimes you can see it in the right light. And something about it just clicks. So I don't know. I'm, I'm holding out hope that one day. You'll, uh, <laughs> you might just find yourself completely in love with it, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll have to see. You know, as speaking of the right light for Raleigh, Riley Rosmo, I think the right light is out. Like, complete darkness, so I don't oh. have to look at the page. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> now how are you going to read it's, the words? Yeah. I, I, not I will probably read it as closely as I read Harley Quinn. <laughs> Okay, uh, so <laughs> from Tim Drake in comments, that's all. That's not really all I have for comments. I'm starting to get into uh, uh, features now, getting to the movie side now. Uh, HBO Max announced they are doing a Spanish language, uh, as far as I can tell, possibly only in uh, Southern America, uh, premiering. But I imagine it'll come up here eventually. A Aztec Mexican Batman animated movie, according to the IGN headline. Uh, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the title because I do not know enough Spanish. I will butcher the hell out of it. Um, but it is going to take place. Uh, let's see here. Uh, well, during Aztec, like ancient Aztec times. Uh, so it's it's definitely taking place in the past about a young Aztec boy. Yohuali Kotal, uh, who follows the same idea of Bruce Wayne. His parents are killed, and he dons a suit of a bat. Uh, in the name of Xenakan, the bat god, I really hope I pronounced that right. Uh, so it's, it looks interesting. We have um, a preview image of him in his bat suit. It looks really good. You shared that in Discord, and I thought the art definitely does look cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looks really cool. We'll have to see if it's if it's a good story, but um, no, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I would like to see it. Yeah. And uh, just dropped on my wire a few minutes before we started. Jensen Ackles apparently teased this week that he is working on another Batman project, uh, where he's voicing Batman, which he did voice in the animated version of the Long Halloween. I believe it was last year. So there will be more coming from him. And actually over to Marvel, there's been a lot of shit going on with Marvel recently with the MCU. Um, Because we we have the MCU show kind of on hold for now. It will be coming back very soon, I imagine. Um, So I want to talk about it here. We have Thunderbolts project in the works. We have a Nova project in the works. Supposedly there's writing teams attached to both of those. And now a Wonder Man series is in the works for Disney+. Plus. Wonder Man? Real Wonder Man, yeah. Yeah, which is being talked about as maybe a Hollywood satire, which I think would very fit Simon Williams. And I think that might be the right tone. Uh, it is being written uh, by Destin Daniel Cretton. And, oh gosh, where is 
the other guy's name. I lost his name. Uh, Andrew Guest, who was a writer-producer on such comedies as Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Community, uh, both of which I think are fan-favorite comedies. Uh, so hopefully that that's going to be quite good. And plus we got a tease of Venom 3 uh, and uh, teases of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 cast members. Maria Bakalova, the breakout star from the Borat sequel last year, who played his daughter. She's going to be in it, as well as Nick no, Santos, who was, I can't remember his character's name, from Superstore. Uh, he he was one of the, the new employees. Oh gosh, what was his name? I don't remember anybody's name from that show now. <laughs> if you Google Nick Santos, you'll know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah he, he, was, he was a great character, great actor on that show. So see both of those joining Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. This movie's going to be huge. Nice. Yeah, so that's that's about right all on. I've got. I'm very curious about the Wonder Man um, show. It sounds as mm-hmm. though it's going to be primarily a, a comedy and yeah. yeah that that'll work for wonder man i think um i'm really excited about the thundercats project dude i i want to see that or i said thundercats i meant thunderbolts if there was actually a thundercats project i hadn't heard of it <laughs> oh i wish i wish <laughs> anything you got brandon yeah, uh, uh, speaking of uh, the long Halloween, uh, a bit of sad news uh, related to that, actually. Uh, the artist of the original Long Halloween um, from the 90s, uh, which I'm, I'm sure most people in the audience are, are familiar with, uh, Tim Sale, unfortunately passed away. There was news a couple of days ago that he had been sick uh, and was taken to the hospital, according to Jim Lee. And I think everyone was kind of you know, hoping for him and, and praying for him and, you know, hoping that he would rally. Uh, but uh, this year can't give us nice things. Um, so, unfortunately, uh, uh, Tim did not uh, did not make it and, uh, and passed uh, earlier this day as it was announced. He's about 66. Uh, and, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really good at, at like, giving eulogies. Um, it, no, it just... But- it just really sucks he's a celebrated artist he's very very talented and you know i mean the comic world is a is a lesser place without all of the talent that we have been losing over the past year it's it is it is rather sad it's a sad time for comics yeah it's just uh it's very crummy we we lost uh, neil adams george perez now tim sale it just feels like a really crappy time for some of the the legends in uh, in comics right now um so on that very depressing note uh we'll go to something that hopefully is a little less depressing although the story itself is still kind of depressing um that comes to us from image comics uh they made the the rather big announcement although to be honest i I was expecting a lot more fanfare on this one considering how much they've been hyping it up but um they finally gave us a release date on the much-anticipated uh, title from Mr. Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman, Vanish, uh, their oh. new creator-owned title uh, that will finally be launching in September. I've been hyping this one up for well over a year now, and uh, because of some scheduling conflicts and other you know, uh, management problems, the book's release date got pushed back a little bit, but it's now here, it's finally here, and the book will officially launch 
on September 7th uh, of this later year. You can get more information about that on imagecomics.com, as well as a fucking sick cover from Daniel Warren Johnson, who just knocked it out of the park as usual. Um, and a really, really beautiful and unexpected cover from Greg Capullo and uh, Dave McCaig. Um, that's, if it wasn't an incentive cover, I would track that one down to find it. But those incentive covers are like $30, so fuck that. Um, I'll just settle for <laughs> looking at a picture of it on my screen. Um, but other than that, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to this one. They've been hyping it up for a while, and it looks like it's, it's going to be something special. Um, Everything then, that Greg Capullo touches is special, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> definitely. I'll, I'll I'll send it over in uh, in Discord, but it is is a gorgeous, gorgeous looking cover. Um, and then just a little bit of, of promotion, um, just for some books that I, I read recently that I really dug, and I think you should check out um, a new oversized uh, original graphic novel from Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino, the Killer Team behind Gideon Falls, uh, just released a new book. I actually had a chance to read it a couple months ago, thanks to the good people at Image, uh, Flex. Um, but it's actually now out, um, you know, in in, uh, in print uh, for, you know, general audiences. Um, and it's really good. It's definitely worth your time. Um, I did a little review of it over on the Indie Corner a while back. But um, I would definitely say go and check it out. Um, and then the second one is Grim, number two. It's a new series over at Boom Studios from Stephanie Phillips and Flaviano. Um, never was really big on Flaviano before, but I just, I don't know what he did, but he's really stepping up his game here. I think it might be the colors, but honestly, it's the best stuff I've seen from him. Uh, and it's just a really cool world and uh, and characters so far. And it's it's got a, a pretty cool mystery that I'm, I'm definitely curious to see how it'll all play out. So um, check those two out if you can. They're definitely worth your time. Uh, and that's all I got. All right, fair enough. Um, I've just got a couple of tiny little things. You okay over there, man? Yeah, yeah, no, just uh, allergies. Need to put that weed down. <laughs> all right. Um, uh, first thing I've got is Marvel related. They did just announce a new Midnight Sun series. The cast is going to consist of Wolverine, Blade, and Nico from The Runaways. I approve of two of those. Uh, Wolverine is, I guess, Marvel's Batman. <laughs> they they, they got to put they got to put him in everything just to pull in the readers, and that's a bit of a bummer. Uh, next, we swing on over to DC News. Minor thing, Supergirl is going to be keeping the costume that she got out of the at the end of Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, which I believe is the one good thing that came from that series. So that's cool. <laughs> um, also found out Clark will be returning to Earth in the title War World Apocalypse, and it's going to be a six issue crossover with Taylor and uh, his son of Kal-El. And man, I cannot wait for those two to collaborate. They are two of my favorite creators at DC right now, and I cannot wait to see what happens in that. And my don't forget, it's going to feature art from... be an 11. Yeah, and, and don't forget, it's featuring art from a legendary creator. I, I don't know how they got this person back to be announced... I like this guy is, is insane. You never see his name all that often, but you know when he shows up, he really delivers. Oh, yeah. So, um, he's everywhere. Yeah, to be, 
Yeah, to to be announced, my my favorite artist. When I saw that uh, in in the credits, I was I was very excited. <laughs> oh man, my my. <laughs> Honestly, I'd be completely fine if they just collabed with uh, you know the artists that are currently doing their respective titles. That'd be fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, we mentioned Greg Capullo, to, and um, now that's stuck in my head. I would love to see that. <laughs> but um. Uh, finally, the last piece of news that I've gotten. I don't know if this is big news for everybody else, but I love this. I just found out that um, HBO Max is going to be releasing a Dead Boy Detectives show. And, dude, I just think that is awesome. Oh, wow. um, Dead Boy Det- Detectives, if you don't know them, they're from Game and Sandman Universe, and they did have their own 12-issue run back in 2014. And, uh, oh, they, they also showed up in the, uh, Doom Patrol. Hmm. So that was pretty cool. Little nod to them there, but it's a great story. It's pretty neat there. You know, obviously they are dead and detectives, so it's, it's, it's a pretty cool story and I can't wait to see what they do with that. And that's all the news that fits. I think our audience is probably too young for that joke, but. (laughs) All right. Well, if there is no more news uh, to speak of, we are going to get into our spotlight section for this week. Uh, But before we hop into that, were there any honorable mentions that we wanted to throw for this week? I have uh, some comments on seven of the books that were released pretty brief you guys jump in if there's anything you guys would like to add uh first on the list is young justice targets number one if you are a fan of the animated series this is probably right up your alley i liked it it's not a stellar comic but it is one for the fans of the show for sure um also that came out this week is jurassic league number two i'm not a fan but nearly everyone else is so if that's the kind of thing that interests you give it a shot in my personal opinion dino justice should be left to the transformers <laughs> Dino Justice. <laughs> that's what I, that's, i'm just saying uh future state gotham number 14 came out this week it continues to be an excellent alt universe story one that i wish would have oracle's costume come over to the main continuity since she still goes out um, and the Damien angle as 666, which I never really thought was that great of an idea, is actually working out really well. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that. Uh, also, um, speaking of the Sandman universe, Nightmare Country number three. I'm not a fan of Tynan on capes, but man, let me tell you, they're They are absolutely amazing when it comes to horror. Between this and Nice House on the Lake, this is the corner that Tynan belongs in with DC. Make yourself comfortable, James, because I'd like you to be there for a while. Yeah, that's the Um, only one I read of of the ones you've mentioned so far, and that was a really good one. Um, It was Really, only Batman is the cape that I haven't really liked um, that he's done. Detective was was pretty good. I, I still really like that one good favorite of mine um we don't need to get into that so i'll reserve my comments but in any case urban legends number 16 man what a great way to wrap up three stories 
that have been ongoing. We've got the conclusion to three of them, and then one in between about Alfred. Uh, Alfred pretty much putting himself out there and uh, and investigating the death of a friend. And man, that was that was really super good. Even if I'm not a big fan of all of the stories that were going on, they were wrapped up in a very good way. So if you did love them, man, you need you need to get out there and read them because I thoroughly prove of that. Uh, two more and that's it. Blood Syndicate number two. This is really good. That said, as Brandon said last month, you need to already know these characters. They really should have introduced them more instead of dropping everyone into the middle of a war zone. I like it because I'm a Blood Syndicate fan, but for a new reader, this this could be very, very hard to get into. So I think they kind of flubbed in that in the, in that particular area. Yeah, and I then still last, don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> um, last but not least, a whole bunch of shit. Dakota is a war zone, man. Um, last but not least... Naomi season two, number four. I can't fucking believe I'm saying this, but this was a damn good issue. And I mean, like, really good. I hope the trend continues. I hope this is how it continues to be written. Because, again, I love Naomi. It's Bendis writing it. It's always let me down. But this kicked ass. And I hope that this leads to some defining moments for Naomi in the next ones. Uh, because she is facing a world-level threat, and she has to do it all on her own. So that's pretty sick. And that's all the mentions that I've got. All right, well, if we're all done with our honorable mentions for this week, we'll shift our spotlight over to just one special book for this week, because that's all we have, and that is the DC Pride Tim Drake number 1 special Bonanza Blast issue which I'm going to hand over to Rob to give us the details. All right. So this is from, as we mentioned earlier, writer Megan Fitzmartin with arts by Belen Ortega, colors from Alejandro Sanchez, and letters from Pat Brosseau. See, I don't know why we can't just keep this creative team. I thought they did lovely together. Uh, So for this 15-page story in the back of DC Pride Tim Drake, which, if you have not checked it out, the first few chapters in the story are reprints of the stories we got in Urban Legends earlier. I believe it was uh, Urban Legends 4 through 6 and number 10. Uh, Tim's stories in there, uh, which then lead into this right now, which is The Elephant in the Room. So Tim and Young Justice are taking on a ghostly pachyderm that none of them can actually touch. It gets away and they give chase, but they are met by the Batgirls. Impulse finds clues as to the elephant's next destination, which Tim recognizes as hints to Mark Twain. The group splits up with Cass, Bart, and Connor making Tim and Steph team up, despite the fact that they're very awkward about it. The duo find the elephant first and just barely make it out alive as the others arrive to help take down the elephant. Tim tells Bart to act like a cannonball to take it down, which is a reference to a Mark Twain detective story. Tim and Steph then take some time to talk, and Tim comes out to Steph properly while also introducing her to Bernard. So, uh, for me, I think it was a very uh, well-told story when it comes to the bisexuality angle, but the elephant was very confusing with next to no hint of resolution to (laughs) what the hell was going on. Uh, What's with the Mark Twain stuff? Why was there a ghostly elephant? 
there there was some some mirror disc that Connor had to destroy, and that was very weird. And I'm really happy that they announced the ongoing because I'm really hoping we'll get answers in that. It's just crazy that we had a 15-page story and now we have to wait three months for a resolution. That's insane. Uh, That's my issue with this story. As for the Tim stuff and and the the stuff coming like in his life, I loved it. But the, the hero stuff was crazy. <laughs> so um, whole book though, like I really enjoyed the first few chapters <clears throat> um, that we got in Urban Legends earlier last year. Uh, so for the whole book, I'll give it an eight point five. But, but, okay but so besides go okay yeah go ahead. you go ahead first man yeah where where to actually no you should go because i have a list uh and it's gonna all be long right. <laughs> all right all right well besides bernard being kind of boring up till this point which is is not really a point of contention for me because it's not his book this kind of really aggravated me um besides batman and Cass, definitely not voiced as themselves what kind of special issue is this? Celebrating Pride Month, no less, where it reprints some seriously subpar stories and then a new one that is super soft. I'm really disappointed in DC. Tim is an amazing character, and this reads like a CW show. A bad one at that. And then at the end, it's see Tim in Dark Crisis. Not in Batman, which he will actually be a big part of, but... Dark Crisis, of which he'll be a part of a one-shot, and not all by himself. And now I find out that he's getting his own ongoing, woohoo, with literally the worst artist DC has ever employed, and the writer that came up with a ghost elephant and chaos monsters. You've got to be shitting me. I'm, I'm, I'm very disappointed. I can't give this a high score having read 90% of the book before. Chaos Monsters, Evil Elephants, so dumb. And a very <laughs> poor decision all the way around. The art was good in most places. Most. Um, I do. I appreciate them addressing Tim's, uh, Tim's uh, sexuality and the confusion that he's having. He doesn't really seem confused. It's more along the lines of him, um, him just recognizing what I mean, what the people on Twitter have known for five fucking years, if not more. Tim's bisexual, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, he and he's he's coming into feeling comfortable about that. I like that part. Um, again, it, it's been hinted at and dropped in like for years. There's always been those little things that have led us to think that without it actually showing up on the page. Um, it's good to see that. I, 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 I don't want that to be the focus of the book and have the rest of it be ghost elephants, chaos monsters, and shit that just flat out doesn't make sense. Uh, as much as I want this to be great, I gave it a 5 out of 10. Oh, and Brandon just said, fuck this. I'm not going now. Wait, what? Oh, no, you cut out for a second. I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, I like your, your audio. Yeah, your audio out, just like, like mid-sentence. Yeah, I, I, oh. I didn't hear what or you said. Or mid-score, anyway. So yeah. I, I thought well, you dropped All out I heard was five out of ten. And then, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, that, that was it. 
I give this a five out of ten. All right. Yeah. So this is I. Uh, um. Where where do where do we even begin? Uh. Well, I guess the best place to start is is with a list because I just I had a lot of opinions on this, which makes it sound like I'm going to be really catty about it. But I, I just had to put it down because there were so many things that just rubbed me the wrong way, particularly with the last part of this story. So we're going to go through this this wonderful list that I that I developed. Um, that's definitely not just a bunch of bitching. Number one, <laughs> continuity much, and and all of all of my points have titles. Number one, continuity much. So do you remember when Steph had an unplanned pregnancy, and the first person that she told, not her mother, not her friend, was Tim. Yes. Right? And Robin 59 back in I believe it was 1997. Do you remember when Steph died after war games and didn't tell anyone she was still secretly alive only to be called out by Tim for keeping secrets from him? So why the hell does Tim get a pass? That's in Robin 176 if you want the receipt. Remember when Cluemaster died and Steph <laughs> oh and God. Tim had this really candid conversation about death and life and Steph's personal relationship with her father and that's in Robin number 111. Again, I have receipts on all these. And do you know why? Because these are issues that I've read and I really enjoyed. And I remembered them because they were important points in Tim and Steph's relationship. Not just in showing how it continues and how it exists, but how important it is to each other that communication and honesty is valued there. So my point in saying this is that after everything they've been through and have confided in each other, why in the fuck would Tim have ever iced out Stephanie? She should have been the first person that he told, and Steph would have loved him for it. Like, that to me makes no sense, and and again, it feels like it just spits in the face of their relationship. And I understand the trepidation of trying to reveal another part of yourself, but given everything we know about their relationship, none of this adds up. I could understand it if it was Bruce or maybe Jason, or someone that he might feel a little bit apprehensive and confiding his personal details to. But this is Steph. This is like one of your best friends in the world. Someone if that not you have his best told. Friend. Yeah, someone that you have told incredibly, you know, intimate secrets and and things that you would have told no one else. I just, for the life of me, I could not understand that. Number two, Bernard and Tim have no chemistry. So having actually read the Bill Willingham run on Robin from the 2000s, and admittedly it was a few years ago since I read that, I know for a fact that these two have no chemistry. Their perception or, or the perception of their relationship right now is just they're together. There's nothing, there's no dynamic, there's no interesting part of it. They're just, I mean, Bernard is is just the love interest. He was a very generic stereotype in the original run of of you know bill willingham's time on robin he was your classic early 2000s best friend stereotype the one that's always making jokes about girls and is you know making comments about how hot tim's stepmom was that's all people remember about bernard and now even that aspect of his personality is gone and he's just generic love interest so it's like if you really wanted to give tim a male love interest which I have no problem with it. Again, there have certainly been context clues alluding to the fact that Tim has been bi. There are a number of choices you could have gone with, Connor being the most obvious one. But shit, if you wanted to go with one of Tim's friends, and I know this is a deep cut, but for anyone who even remembers these characters, you could have gone with Ives or or Hudson or any of like Tim's friends from Gotham High that uh, that he used to know back in the day. Like That would have been a great way to reintroduce them. Like, hey, you know, they were really close friends in the past, and now... Maybe they're feeling something more intimate. I personally prefer Tim and Stephanie, 
But I was like, if you're going to bring back one of his friends, at least bring back a friend he actually had chemistry with. But Bernard is just a boring character. Number three, we've been over this shit already. Tim and Steph have rehashed this argument multiple times. Are we not fucking done? It was in Robin back in the 2000s when Steph was working with Batman and keeping it hush-hush. And Tim was pissed about that. It was in the previously mentioned Robin 176, where Tim called her out for not revealing she was alive. It was in Red Robin, when Tim wouldn't talk to others for help because he was searching for Bruce and everyone thought he was crazy. More recently, it was in James Tynan's detective run, when Tim was keeping declining Ivy University a secret and building his weird bat fascist city uh, in the bat cave. Like, all of this stuff we've already been through before. The idea that they were going to keep secrets from each other. We've already been through this. They've already punished each other enough for that. So are we are we really still going to just rehash this idea that they don't trust each other enough, that they're still going to fucking lie to each other? I just, again, it's like, for, for everything that we know about the relationship between these two, none of this adds up in any way. And then four, Set, and my final up point. Setting up the platonic bat and cat. Yeah, and then number four, my final point. What fucking year is this? Like, even if Tim did feel some kind of apprehension towards telling Stephanie, did you really think that after he revealed to her that he was bisexual, she was going to what, like immediately break up with you on the spot or say, gross, ew, get away from me. I don't want to be with you anymore. Tim has to be one of the most open people that I know. Well, I don't know him personally, but like based on what we read in the comics and Stephanie is certainly accepting as well. And the idea that for some bizarre reason Steph would be unaccepting of of Tim's you know truth about also liking boys is not is not something that she would be upset about. So again, just running through all of the continuity and everything that we know about this relationship, none of this makes any sense. And I, I don't love to be a stickler about this stuff. I mean, I know I talk about it a lot, and I know I'll make reference to a lot of things in the past, but that's more minor nitpicks. Like, if it's a good story, I'm willing to forgive this stuff. But the fact of the matter is, it's not a very good story. It's a very weak story, and the fact that it sort of spits in the face of prior continuity just makes it even worse. So, (laughs) for as much as the story looks good and has, you know, moments where Tim's voice isn't terrible... I just really rubbed me the wrong way in the way that this author chose to portray the relationship between Tim and Stephanie. And I'm sure it's only a matter of time before some writer who remembers their old relationship comes back and breaks them up and puts Tim and Steph together. Like, I I could totally see that happening because I just know that's the type of thing that people do. Um, Tim, Hines, and Steph. They can have a bathruple. A thruple, yeah. Um, But it it just really rubbed me the wrong way to see their relationship portrayed in this light. And I know they're trying to go for the, you know, we still care about each other, even if we're not together. But the fact that you went through all of this just to avoid telling your ex-girlfriend that you're bisexual just really paints, I mean, particularly paints Tim in a bad light because it makes him look like a terrible person. Like they're going for the, the sweet angle of like, well, you know, I just, I wasn't sure the right way to tell you and this and that. But if I was Stephanie, I would be pissed because I would feel like, then clearly you don't trust me at all. You don't care about me enough to value or respect my opinion on on how I might respond to something like that. Like if if we're truly trust friends, that she's yeah to trust that yeah, she's if, not actually his friend. Yeah, like if we're truly friends, you would have confided that to me like right from the jump. But the fact that you didn't think I would be able to handle it or have that kind of conversation with you kind of speaks very badly of our friendship and and kind of shows that you really don't respect me at all. And that's like, that's what I got from this story. It's, it's almost like 
if if I was Stephanie, I would be more upset and angry than she was in this issue, um, which already kind of the way that that Steph is portrayed in this this short again really just just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But it it already had its problems. But if I were Stephanie, I would be even more pissed at at how Tim had treated me in this situation. So I don't even have a score to give this one. Like I. To be honest, I didn't even rate it because it just I had so many problems with that back half. I, I couldn't even get the time to, to properly score it. And I don't even know that I want to. So I'm going to abstain. But just know that if you're someone who is at, at the very least familiar with the Tim and Steph relationship and, and has knowledge of you know their time in the past, trust that this story is not going to sit well with you. So yep. that's all they I have are, to say. They are addressing his sexuality in a stellar way. Everything else about the character itself, the story around it, and the voices of the people that are coming in are so stale and generic, it's not even funny. I, I'm just glad that Steph has her own role in the Batgirls book, and this is not like the, the only time you get to see her, because that would be even worse. Oh, yeah. The fact that she only pops up in relation to you know Tim having to awkwardly confess that he's bisexual to her. Can you like imagine? If, if that was how... the only time you saw her, that would be just just dreadful and almost kind of sexist in a way. But that's a whole other topic. Can you imagine how Tim feels after such a big reveal and opening himself up to everybody that he's going to be drawn by Riley Rosmo? I bet you he's devastated. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, and you you brought up a good point, man. Um, and that's something that I never considered, but Tim. And this isn't knocking Dick, but he he kind of sort of does see things a certain way, um, not not in a bad way, but he he's definitely got his established point of view. Tim really is the most open-minded Robin. I mean, he 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 is willing to consider and listen and accept change and the whole nine yards. He's he's um, I, I never considered that, but that that, that is very very true. Yeah, and also very candid. Like he was, he was kind of famously, he was one of the Robins that always kind of had his heart on his sleeve. I mean, aside from Dick Grayson, but you know, if you if you ever go back and read a lot of those old Robin issues, he's the one that is like, he'll he'll be pretty open about how he's feeling because he's a teenager, and that's what teenagers, well, not all teenagers, but that's what some teenagers do. They love to talk about themselves, um, and I I don't know. I just the. the Whatever I'm, I'm rambling at this point because like, I it just it just rubbed me just in just such a bad way. Um, but anyway, I just I, I, I yeah I, I, I on that. Yeah, the the whole like Tim reserving himself and and hiding things from Steph that was a Bendis plot point. You make a good point here. Uh, that was something he did in Young Justice, if I'm not mistaken. Bendis is Young Justice, so that's. That's awkward. But if I may give some insight to the bisexual mind. So the stuff that you're you're detailing, I, I get it. For someone, I don't know all of Tim's history like you do with, hey, hell, I don't really know much of Tim's history at all. For someone that has read the, the entire run that he had, I, that's really good points. Which does make this counterintuitive, but what she's written, what Megan Fitzmartin has written here, while it yeah, based on what you're describing, it seems very counterintuitive to Tim as a whole, but it is very accurate to 
somebody coming out to somebody so close to them. And that's why with Steph being so close to Tim and, and Steph basically being his best friend and having that significant other relationship in the past, she would be the hardest mm-hmm. person to tell. He'd be the most scared to tell her. And that's why he's having such a hard time. And that's also why he apologized so much. It's terrifying. And it's not easy to just go out and, and while you can tell this person anything, this is a big deal especially somebody who you've been intimate with in the past. It's it's one of the hardest things you ever have to do. So that's why that made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. No, I can I can respect that honestly and I, I don't yeah. I I mentioned it in Discord but I don't want to I don't want to speak on any any personal experiences. I'm, you know, I'm not um oh, that's, I'm not that's bisexual <laughs> And I, I hope I'm not so. making things awkward with this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no, I mean I just like, I I yeah. my 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 approach to this was was purely continuity driven. So yeah. that's why I was like I'm not I'm not going to try and speak for anyone or mm-hmm. talk about the experience objectively because I, I just don't know um and I I don't have the right to do that. Um but I I was just going from a perspective okay, I know their relationship pretty yeah. well, I would say and this just felt really uncomfortable and um, how it lined up with that. But I understand where you're coming from, um, yeah. and I don't want to discount that. That's also how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Which is unfortunate, but that's also... It's a, it's a thing that, that the people go through. When you're telling somebody that you've been so close with in the past that you can just open up about anything, this is the biggest news you're ever going to tell them. Yeah. I just, I guess it, it had rubbed me the wrong way because Stephanie had confided that trust in Tim before, and it just yeah. felt kind of disingenuous that Tim would not treat her with the same respect. But mm-hmm. again, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for for anyone else's experiences, and I, I do hear what you're saying. No, I, to me, I suppose, to me, I suppose that given their relationship, I feel like it very much should have been more of a well like like it was when when my daughter came out to me about being gay um it it was more like a well no shit kind of moment like i knew that already you didn't know that i've seen you lingering looking at girls butts plenty of times (laughs) (laughs) you know it's it's i i don't know it's just if you know if if they were that close i feel like it would have just been an unspoken knowledge but um again you know coming from that's coming from a parent's point of view and somebody that they had previously been in a relationship with that that could I I could definitely understand how that would just pile on the pounds of of difficulty, and I uh, I had not considered that part. Yeah, well, that's all I had to say for it. Um, just it, it, I I had I had my I had my notes, um, but I've got that off my chest now. I've got my notes. Well, thank you, Rob, for enlightening us. Happy to. <laughs> I, I will always talk about life experiences. And, and anybody out there, if you ever want to chat about this stuff, by all means, hit me up. Don't hit on me. Just hit me up. <laughs> all right. Well, if we're done talking about Tim Drake, 
uh, I think it's I think it's just about time for us to take a bit of a break before we hop into our main reviews for this week. So we will be right back. Stay tuned. All right. Anybody need a break? I, I, I just they, they, they did feel really awkward. I'm not usually that outspoken. I don't want to make any of this awkward. I know. I know. I know. I know. Bruh. <laughs> I, that's probably the most I've ever written for any book we've reviewed. Uh. <laughs> that, that's not like my whole I, my my best friend is a, a gay man. I've got a daughter that's FTM trans. I've got another gay daughter, two other decently close friends that are around me right now are gay. One a guy, one a girl, and um, all but one of them had a very 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 easy time coming out so like i i know that's not the same for everybody um i mean especially not for uh not 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 for one of my friends they 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 ended up getting kicked out of their house but for everybody else it was it was all you know there <laughs> you know it, it was much like uh we, we're heading into the movie theater there's like six of us and we're gonna go watch uh the amazing spider-man 2 and um oh i'm sorry <laughs> i was about to say jesus <laughs> I, we we go in and we watch the movie and then on the way out he goes um guys i i gotta tell you something and we just kind of look at him and he's like i think andrew garfield was so hot that's how he came out to us and 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 uh ted teddy a friend of mine looked over at him and he goes so you're gay is that what you're trying to tell us and he's like yeah that's what i'm trying to tell you he goes we could have told you that years ago (laughs) yeah uh, um, let me refill my water, man, and I'll be right back, guys. Yeah, I got to run out of washer, man. Sure. Quite honestly, though, seeing Amazing Spider-Man 2 in theaters is not as bad as other ones, like Fantastic Four. (coughs) 
That is good. What is good? The uh, Greg Capullo cover for Vanish. Yeah, oh, isn't it something? I didn't, I didn't look yet. God damn. Hang on, I'm going to pull up the uh, one from uh, Dan Warren Johnson. What are you just sending it to him? What's that? Oh, it's on the comments. No, 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 I put oh, it in you the comments chat. It. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh... But you definitely, Josh, check out uh, Do a Powerbomb. You might, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how much of a wrestling you are, Brandon, but it was, uh, it was quite a good read. Oh, that is sick, <laughs> dude. Oh, shit. I mean, I don't know how they, I, I, like, just saw this one. I don't know how they pulled the strings to get him, but apparently there's a variant cover from Ed McGinnis. I figured he was, like, Jesus Christ. exclusive, like, uh, DC guy, or, well, DC slash Marvel guy. I didn't even know he was, you know, doing covers for, like, uh, independent publishers. So I didn't even recognize it at first. I was like, who did this? It's really good. You, um, you call in friends, man. Yeah. Or shit. Oh, I mean, who knows? I mean, Kate's could have been writing Venom, and you know, and then and then Ed just goes like, "Hey, man, you know, whenever you need me, I'm down." Yeah, no, this is a major fucking favors for that. Oh shit! Oh wow! I didn't even rec- yeah, I didn't recognize it, but then I, I saw the the little artist's signature at the bottom, and I know his signature, and I was like, "Oh shit, that's Ed McGinnis." Um. Christ Almighty! I want him to come on and draw Batman now. Mm-hmm. Well, he did Look do the um, he did the the Superman Batman series with Jeff Loeb. Um, yeah, Public Enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't think he's oh, done a solo Batman title. No, I I I want to I want I want to see him draw Joker, like repeatedly. Look at that. Yeah. that I'm that, sure he's oh done like God. a fan sketch or something. But uh, but yeah, no, he's a. Uh, it's pretty, pretty good. Oh, yeah. All right. Pretty, pretty good. All right. We've got... We've got four more to knock out. I think we should be able to finish that before the night is done. Oh, definitely. Yep. <laughs> All right. Whenever you are ready, kind sir. <coughs> nice. Uh, <coughs> just had this terrible cough lately. Now, back to our program. And we're back, and we are going to shift over to our main reviews for the night, starting with Batgirls number seven, featuring a character we just talked quite a bit about, Miss Stephanie Brown, as well as a couple other Batgirls, uh, because they are just as important, too. This was brought to us by the usual team, with a little bit of a different art uh, team this time, uh, written by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad, with art this time from Robbie Rodriguez and colors from Rico Renzi. With letters from Becca Carey, this is part one of a two-part arc called Bad Reputation. Uh, As we had established in the last issue, Seer had come to the Batgirls for help, uh, though the specific reasons for that were still kind of unknown. Now we see that Seer is on some kind of mission working with the Batgirls, and she appears to be luring the Saints of Simon, or excuse me, the Saints, just the Saints, but I think Saints of Simon sounds better. Um, The Saints... Uh, to a rooftop, uh, acting as the bait, uh, knowing how upset they are with Seer for her deception. Uh, They make their way across the rooftops, hoping to give Seer chase, and the Batgirls are hot on their tails, 
trying to make sure that they do not get the entire upper hand. Uh, but unfortunately, the Saints are able to make off with Seer and the Batgirls plan to pursue, uh, but not before rendezvousing with Oracle uh, for a little bit because the place that the Saints have fled to is a place that they know they cannot just blindly run into, and that is the Iceberg Lounge, which with all the security that's in that place, trust me, you don't want to go in there without a plan. The Saints have or a Seer. really big gun. Yeah, yeah. The Saints take Seer back to her hideout uh, where they plan to just, you know, execute her right off the spot. Um, but Seer claims that she can make herself useful in some kind of way or another. Uh, and the Saints decide that maybe there's something that Seer can do for them after all. We also get a little bit of backstory on who Seer actually is. Her name is Kira Kosov, and if that name sounds familiar to you, uh, it is because Kosov is one of the names of the leaders of the Odessa mob, uh, which is a name that uh, might be a little unfamiliar, but it's it's one of many of the uh, gangs from Gotham back in the, the old uh, uh, 2000s days. Um, and it seems like the Odessa mob may be making their return in some kind of way, but at least we know that Kira is in some way related to, um, to the Kosov family that we don't know exactly uh, whether or not she's the daughter of Vasily Kosov, the uh, <clears throat> former leader of the Odessa mob, or any other of the Kosov family. Um, but the Batgirls make their way uh, from their apartment back to uh, the Iceberg Lounge, riding the mopeds in style, um, and are trying to come up with a plan as to how to get into the Iceberg Lounge. Babs suggests a little bit of espionage where all the Batgirls dress up, but Steph is firmly against that because it is lame, and how the hell are you going to fight in a dress anyway? Uh, I guess she's never seen Wonder Woman. Um, or Lady but in Shiva. Any case, yeah, or Lady Shiva. Um, but in any case, Babs decides that they are not going to be dressing up. She is going to be dressing up, and the Batgirls, in a strange twist, are going to be playing Oracle tonight. Um, we check in very briefly with Grace O'Halloran, who is still covering... The news, I mean, really, she just kind of reports on the Iceberg Lounge stuff and the fact that there are some gang members there. Also, some old gang members from that, that uh, 2000 era, like the Tomasos and the Ibanescus. Um, but other than that, nothing of, of major importance, just kind of more time with Grace O'Halloran. Uh, but we shift our attention back to Babs, who is looking very fine in a sleek black dress and a very nice white overcoat. And she is waiting on her date to arrive, uh, only to find that she has been maybe potentially stood up when some douche in a limo walks out and decides that he is going to become her date for that night. And who is that douche, you might ask? Well, it's none other than Mr. Richard Grayson, socialite and uh, benefactor of Bluthaven uh, or something like that. I know. What a dick. Massive what a dick indeed. Dick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the Batgirls are keeping eyes on the Saints, who are keeping eyes on the Iceberg Lounge, who are also trying to keep eyes on who's in the Iceberg Lounge, while Babs and Dick make their way into the lounge and are waiting for the fun to begin. What fun is that? Well, you'll have to find out in the next issue. Um, I really like this one. The, the Batgirl series has, I mean, really since, like, issue three, has really been picking up steam in a major way, and this just kind of feels like it's, it's keeping up with the fun. There were a little bit of weird dialogue moments, but for the most part, like the story is is what's kind of keeping me going. Um, and I'm actually interested to see what they're going to do uh, next with with you know Seer and everything. Now that we know she's a part of 
you know, the, the Casa family and maybe connected to the Odessa mob and all that stuff. There might be some more connections building there. Um, but I'm actually just really excited to see what happens in the next issue. Like, I don't really have a ton of theories or anything. I just, I'm, I'm not like on the edge of my seat. I'm, it's kind of just like, yeah, I'm looking forward to next month. I want to see how this wraps up. So this got an 8 out of 10. Very satisfying read. Yeah, and the I'm art from Robbie exactly. Rodriguez. Wonderful. Yeah. I, I'm in the exact same boat. It's It's been picking up. I, honestly, this has been more interesting than Spellbinder. Near the end, I didn't really hate it, but I just kind of fell flat after a while Spellbinder did for me. And this is a lot more interesting. We're, we're moving on very quickly from the Saints, and I hope we do. I didn't realize this was a two-part story because I did have in my notes. I'm hoping we get some newer stuff soon and get to maybe some more original uh, stuff that's not just bagging off of pre-existing characters um because so far that's pretty much been all the villains um but i wouldn't mind seeing some more original content soon uh as for this two-part story it's it's been fun so far i hope the second part sticks to landing and is, is just as fun i gave this an 8.5 awesome uh, i i don't have a whole lot to say about it it's okay i don't hate it i mildly like it but honestly I want to say what's really putting me off in, in here is that we are still using Seer and Saint as the story. If Seer is sticking around as part of the team, great, fine, whatever, I'm cool with that. But let's get way past this shit so I never have to read anything about Simon Saint or the Magistrate again. Because <laughs> at this point, I'm sick of it way more than I ever was of the Batman Who Laughs. And that is really saying something um the the art as usual is pretty good this was better than what we have been seeing um i i like this art team um especially that last page of dick and babs uh, i will give this you know what i'm gonna put a little bit of hope in this and bump it up just a tiny bit good art team i like the writing the illustration they need to pick a new arc and get there very fast and leave the rest of the shit behind i'll give it a seven out of ten fair enough all right well if there's nothing else to say about batgirls this week we're going to shift our attention to another wonderful woman uh, and that is wonder woman i don't want to pass that over to josh all right, Wonder Woman number 788, written by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad, art by Emmanuel Lupacino, Wade Von Grawbadger, and Tamra Bonvillain, lettering from Pat Brazo, and a cover from Yannick Paquette and Nathan Fairbairn, who seem to be a pretty damn good team together. I like them. So, this is going to be... A breakdown of everything that happens into the issue. There's a lot that happens in the issue, so let forgive me for it if it seems a little long. We start off with Cisco doing a Cisco doing another commercial for Milk Extra, his plan to take over the world. Don't forget that according to last issue, these commercials are being broadcast on public access television, the stuff that no one watches ever oh and he is only marketing it towards <laughs> men um so 
That makes no sense. Um, next, we see Steve grab up some of the milk extra so that Edely finally Edda, fi finally has a sample to run tests on. Finally. It must be hard for her to get it with it being sold literally anywhere you can get milk. So this makes no sense. Siegfried sees the news showing a protest uh, storming outside of the Hall of Justice conducted by a few people protesting against Diana being in the Justice League, citing that men, like in general, men are under attack. I guess that this is the milk's influence because it makes no sense. She talks to Superman and Green Arrow who are too busy to talk to her except for Green Arrow calling her, situa her, her situation a mess that she can't clean up. Superman saying, sorry, wish I could be there for you, but I can't because we have this super important but not explained mission on Mars that they have to take care of. Maybe that's how that Green Arrow would have... Where he's mm -hmm. supposed Mars. to be? Yeah. Worlds? Yeah. Right. But, no, mm -hmm. they're going to Mars. Um, maybe that's how Green Arrow would handle that situation, putting his foot in his mouth and being rude. Sure. Yeah. But this is definitely not Superman. He would take the time to help out Diana. Period. Mm -hmm. This makes no sense. She goes outside to address the crowd and gets pelted with milk. Cisco sends his fake Wonder Woman, who, don't forget, is named Sweetheart, to the exact same place to attack the crowd, the crowd right in front of Wonder Woman, to make them think that it was Wonder Woman who attacked them, though there were two of them there, one with a couple of big-ass cracks in her face. This makes no sense. But oh wait, the attack didn't come from fake-ass Wonder Woman, it was the milk extra truck that was parked at the protest, an explosion designed as a distraction to get Dr. Poison into position. This makes no sense. Another truck shows up, and Sweetheart... No, fuck, I can't call her that. Fake-ass Wonder Woman didn't attack, <laughs> but she's there in plain sight, which should be exposing the entire plan. To push a button on a cell phone that could have been pushed from literally anywhere... This kind of bomb is detonated by cell signal. There is no need for close proximity. This makes no sense. Dr. Poison's role is to pretend to be a victim, which Steve tries to save and then gets pricked with poison. Dr. Poison is dressed like usual. No disguise. An old, regular Wonder Woman villain and Steve should have easily recognized, but did not. And they promptly announced that Cisco has put together a team called Villainy Inc. By the way, completely different from any of the other current villain groups running around DC right now. Just about all of the villains seem to be squatted up. Oh, and there's a gas attack going on concurrently, but it isn't mentioned or acknowledged until after some generic dialogue between Dr. Poison and Siegfried, so none of that makes sense. Next, another public access TV broadcast where Cisco shows footage of the fake-ass Wonder Woman at the scene to prove that Wonder Woman was there, but Wonder Woman was there, so why did you need to show fake-ass Wonder Woman there when you could have just shown Wonder Woman there? That makes no sense. Diana shows up to say she'll fight against Cisco, but only because she's messing with her friends, not because of exploding bombs and endangering people. Guess what? That doesn't make sense. Then we switch over to Cisco's townhouse, where he simultaneously celebrates how good they did 
while he berates the female members of his group for their mistakes, saying that he should have expected that from women. Then he receives a mysterious phone call from someone who says they love what he's been doing and they send him a gift inside a very large box, a box that looks like a coffin. Inside the box, a person. That person, Dolos, the Duke of Deception. Deception. But... Okay, so Dolos is one of Nix's kids, and he's not behind Deception. That's his sister. He does trickery like Loki. Apate was Deception. By the way, we've most recently seen the name Six in the tri- Nick. Jesus. We've most recently seen the name Nix in the Trials of the Amazons arc, where she is the Amazon's pet cat. None of that makes any sense. The art is good for the most part, but the entirety of this issue, and I promise you the entire fucking arc, is one giant pile of wonder dung. Clunin and Conrad need to be removed from Wonder Woman immediately. Their lead-up to Trial of the Amazons was a shit show. This is seriously just pure trash. I would rather reread Bendis' Justice League run. The backup is the same crap we've been getting about young Diana that should be in its own book and serves no purpose at all. Good art for the very, very, very young crowd, like Nine and Under. The story is the same boring stuff. I gave both of them a two, and when the whole book is a whole lot of shit, it's a complete waste of an amazing character who is fresh off the heels of what should be a universe-defining change for the Wonder Woman and Wonder-verse Instead, we get pure drivel, nonsense about psychic evil milk that makes testosterone jump up and men hate women, and it completely ignores literally everything else that's going on in the DC universe around it. When you have a front story and a backup that both get a two, that drops the score. Wonder Woman number 788 gets a one out of ten. Well then. It makes no sense. Everything is wrong in this book. Everything is wrong. Yeah. I can definitely agree. I I want... Okay, so I was trying to figure it out. I was trying to look it up, and I can't remember where I heard about it. Was there not some awkward allegations against Michael W. Conrad last year? Um, It wasn't quite a year ago, but he and he, he... Uh, and I can't remember this verbatim, but basically he was yeah. completely okay with uh, roughhousing women. Okay, right. Yeah, I knew there was something along those lines, but yeah, I could not quite remember exactly either. So yeah, this me, story me really and Jim feels... From, me and Jim from Weird Science tore him a new one on Twitter and like immediately got blocked. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, this story really feels like he's trying to back tread and and fix an image a little bit and really say that he he's all for women's rights but they're going about the wrong way they really are and you're right none of this makes any sense it's very messy it's it's off-brand for not just wonder woman but social justice in general it and why are so you're highlighting the this the struggle that women are having while also making them seem very emotional for awkward things but it's all being caused by a fucking d-list villain with a dumbass reason why 
it's, oh my god, yeah, it makes no sense. I you bring in a super powerful character like Dolos, who is a god. Yeah. And you fuck up his identity. <laughs> <laughs> my god, what the hell? Uh, um, the only thing that's keeping me going is I want to know who those two people are on the screen. But it's going to be either A, disappointing when it's finally revealed, or B, never revealed at all, and it's just going to be two people that were investing in Villainy Inc. for some bloody reason. Uh, I, I gave it a 5 out of 10 because I enjoyed the art. That was about <laughs> nice. it. I, 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 I'll be honest, I, I flipped through the backup. I, it's, it's not for me. <laughs> the backup is not, just not for me. It's interesting, fun stories, but I'm, I'm convinced it's for the kids. And it should be published for the kids. It should not be paired with an adult-themed comic book. No, it should be released under Scholastic. Yeah. What did you think, Brandon? Uh, I, I think I forgot to read this issue. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry. Um, oh, that I, is I felt kind of awkward about it. <laughs> I felt kind of awkward about it because, like, we got to it and I was like, I didn't want to say anything. I was like, oh shit, I, I totally <laughs> forgot to read this. It just, it wasn't on my radar at all. And I think I was just so upset about the Tim Drake stuff that it just, I completely forgot to read it. So I assume most of what you're saying is probably true, but I, yeah, I, 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 I just did not read it. So I, I don't know. Uh, I gave it a breakdown, breakdown, damn near page by page if not every couple of pages worth of stuff in there and I mean, go through trust me Brandon trust me we need we need to rally we need to petition to get a new creative team on here they well, have you're not really sweet. giving me a lot of, of reasons to read this issue honestly I think <laughs> just, just listening like to summary I don't even want to read it if I have to <laughs> you, well yeah. you might need it to make a decision yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. It's it's bad enough that I that it was so like unimportant to me that I forgot to read it. So I, I can't imagine that it's it's going to change my mind all that much. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. Do you mind if I pick up this transition? Yeah, go for it. All right, we are going to move from not Wonder Woman to I Am Batman. There you go. There you go. And yes, he is Batman. That is Jace Fox's I Am Batman number 10, written by John Ridley with art by Christian Duche. Colors from Rex Locus and letters from Troy Pateri. I'm still curious what happened to a literal world. Has he just gone solo? That's awesome if he did. Like, all the power to you, Troy. Good man. So doesn't have to pay those benefits anymore. Yeah. Or doesn't have to pay those whatever like to the to a larger yeah. world studios. Just keep that money for yourself, Mr. Pateri. You're yeah. doing you're doing good work, sir. So uh oddly enough, while this is a full review, I I it's almost as long as my review for Tim Drake special in the spotlight, which was fifteen pages, because not a lot really happened here. The back half of the issue was just a big fight. Uh, so Batman and Detective Chubb are discussing the next plan of attack against Man Ray with the mayor. They know Man Ray is going after people of political power that have done horrible things in the past and covered them up. So their next goal is protecting the mayor, despite the fact that he thinks everything is fine and nothing needs to be worried about. Because, according to him, he's done nothing wrong. 
people have gone through his history in the past, he's had every seat of power uh, available or possible in the political spectrum within the city. And uh, so many people have dug stuff up on him and not found anything. So how Manray could do it is beyond him. Unbeknownst to them, they are being watched by other detectives that hate capes and are determined to take Man Ray down their way, a.k.a. the hard way, with a bullet. At least one of them is. The other one kind of doesn't feel that way. So later that night, Man Ray goes after the mayor at City Hall, surprise, surprise, taking out his entire security team with him. But Chubb and Batman head there very quickly with Jace arriving first. He and Man Ray square off on the street. And Jace gets the upper hand, saving the mayor and taking Man Ray's weapon in the process. Before anything can be done about that, they're stuck in a little standoff. The rogue detective arrives and gets Man Ray dead to rights with a gun straight to the back of the head. But Chubb arrives just in time to shoot the detective down, and now things have gotten worse. So, damn, that's an ending. That's a cliffhanger for sure. And honestly, I'm, I, we talked about it with Batgirls earlier. I'm impressed by how much this book has turned around. It... It's gotten really interesting. I know we've said before the New York setting has done wonders for the character Jace Fox and, and and where John Ridley has taken this. The art is really friggin' good too. It's very consistent. Um, and Man Ray is becoming a little more interesting as well. Just very mysterious and very a Batman-like villain that you wouldn't expect, uh, especially for New York City. It's This is becoming one of my favorite books. To come out right now uh, i gave this an 8.75 i really enjoyed this one this is maybe in a, a week that's doesn't have a lot of standout books this one really stood out uh so yeah 8.75 out of 10 all right well man i'm 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 getting some serious law and order dark knight unit going on here and i right. fucking dig it um, the art is <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the art is really good as it has been, and what's going on here feels detective-y in like all the right ways. I I honestly got iffy about this book after being one of its biggest champions, but it has full swing, full stop, picked right back up for me. Good job saving it, Ridley. Um, this is a huge, great step in the right direction. If this was three or more issues into the right direction, it probably would have gotten me an even higher score. As it stands right now, it gets an 8 out of 10. After you said Law & Order, I'm just picturing Boom. two lawyers, Detective Chubb and Batman, <laughs> walking through a police station towards the camera, just talking. And it looks amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm good with that. <laughs> uh it had some cool action scenes i guess i don't know um i mean it's okay it's uh, i think i said last month it, the problem with this story is just it's not a very good monthly book at least not for me i just every time i read it it's like it goes in my brain and then it it disappears it just oozes out because it, it just doesn't resonate with me all that much um so it's funny hearing you describe it and, and go through the summary again, Rob. I realized how much I'd actually forgotten from when I read it. Um, and I didn't speed read through this either. Like, I, I take my time with it. It just, none of it really sticks with me um, in any way, except for, like, the ending and, you know, a couple of scenes with Man Ray. Um, so, 
yeah, I, I guess it'll be interesting to see what happens next now that Chubb has shot another officer. But if you're asking how much I'm invested in this, probably not a lot. So I gave it a seven and a half out of ten. Brandon is very anti next gen. I'm coming to that. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not anti next gen. Not at all. Uh, it just. I don't know. It just the, the story, at least for me, isn't isn't uh, isn't resonating. And uh, I'm glad it is for some. For me, it's just I don't know. It's it's not it's not satisfying me in a way that a lot of other books are this month. So that's all I got. Well, speaking, well, speaking of, of next gen, yeah. Speaking of next gen, <laughs> you, I knew where you were going with that, and I beat you to it. Yes. Uh, speaking of next gen, our. <laughs> Excuse me. Our next book is another next-gen book, as we will be looking at Superman, a son of Kal-El, number 12. John Kent in the role of Superman, at least on Earth for the moment. Um, brought to us by our same team, Mr. Tom Taylor, with art from Kyan Tormey. Um, colors from Federico Blee. And letters from... <coughs> Excuse me. Tom... Sorry, not Tom. Dave Sharp. Um... This is, uh, uh, I, I, I gotta be honest, I had kind of forgot what even happened in the last issue, and I kind of had to remind myself, um, but this is following uh, Superman intervening on the man, uh, Lachlan, uh, who I guess had been, um, yeah, anyway, um, sorry, I gotta message from someone um sorry about that uh this is following the man lachlan the burning man um who had been uh taken back into custody and uh john had been able to free him and take him back to his mother and all that stuff and give him a nice reunion um but before he can have any kind of moment of peace uh upon giving them their uh, proper reunion john hears that the signal watch that he had given to the kents is going off and immediately he fears the worst makes his way there as fast as he possibly can. Um, And he is right to do so, because apparently some robots are making their way over, uh, you know, uh, to the bunker and, and, you know, trying to protect uh, whatever is coming at them, because whatever is coming is coming fast. Um, And uh, when it finally arrives, they really should have been terrified because it's about the worst thing that you could possibly have. Crypto has arrived, um, which might seem like a good thing, but just wait until he chews up all your housing. Uh, you're not going to be very happy about that. He's going to tear apart <laughs> that nice that nice chair you're sitting in, Lois. I've seen him do it before. Um, anyway, they have a, a proper little reunion, um, and they're trying to figure out what to do next about how to handle Bendix and everything and get some more information from Lex Luthor, um, trying to figure out a good way to get into LexCorp. Um, and they're not really sure what to do next, but John has the idea to maybe not break into LexCorp, but just get someone interested uh, who, who might want to work with LexCorp, someone who Lex could reasonably believe um, would want to do business with him, uh, which is interesting because I think... Uh, Tom Taylor probably didn't read Josh Williamson's Batman, where Luther is incredibly condescending of the fact that Dick Grayson is a billionaire, even though here he's kind of like, eh, yeah, you know, you're all you're doing all right. So maybe he's just putting it on for show. I don't know. And uh, something like in that. In typical but Lex that was fashion. a little funny. 
Yeah, yeah. that was that was uh, that was funny to to see where he's he's talking shit about him behind his back, but here he's like, oh wow, you're doing such great work in Bloodhaven. <clears throat> um, in any case, Dick uh, makes some comments about wanting some extra security um, and uh, mentions the rising, to which Lex Luthor says, you are not that uh, powerful just yet. You might have some clout in uh, Bloodhaven, but you are not that uh, well uh, connected yet, uh, young, young kid, um, and kind of sends him on his way, uh, but not before Dick is able to plant uh, a bug and get some more information on Lex Luthor. Uh, while he is out. Um, John makes his way over to Washington, D.C., and, and he stopped to say hi to me while he was there. Uh, and then he headed over to the Capitol building um, <laughs> to meet with the named Senator Henderson, uh, who Bendix had been talking about, who I guess uh, had some kind of plans for. Um, and uh, John and, uh, and, and Jay are kind of telling him about what's going on with Star Labs and the metahumans that uh, Bendix has been testing and kidnapping uh, but before Henderson can make any kind of actions or anything like that or any kind of statement defending himself he finds that he is transforming into some disgusting sea monster uh, with tentacles and everything like that uh, and is really just wrecking the crap out of the the Capitol building right now um, but before things get too out of hand, uh, John and Jay are able to step in and try and subdue the monster. Jay, in particular, aims for the monster's brain, hitting some kind of nerve or something like that, um, and is able to put the monster to sleep. But unfortunately, in doing so, dropped his mask and revealed that he was none other than Mr. Jay Nakamura uh, to the rest of the world, who I guess all have their cameras out because... Uh, the sight of Jay is just so shocking. Uh, this was decent. I didn't hate it. I don't know. I, I, I felt like kind of. I felt very like. Anti next gen. No, no, no. It's, it's not that at all. Uh, I tease. I I have nothing against the next generation. Um, I'm trying to find the right word. I, I, I almost awkward. feel like a, not awkward. Just like. I guess the more blunt way of saying is like I don't care, but I don't feel that harshly about it. It was more just like I felt kind of disengaged. Maybe that's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Because it was fine. Like I, I didn't hate it at all. And Taylor's voice for John is still, you know, good and and all the the dialogue is fine and everything. But I, I don't know. I just I kind of feel like I'm losing interest in this story. And I, I I need something. And maybe the twist with Jay will give us more to attach to or give me more to attach to. Um but I don't know. I just, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't really feeling it uh, this month. So I gave this one a 7 out of 10. I really didn't hate it. The art from Kai and Tormi was okay, though I still think he does better with an inker. Um, and the action was fine, but just something about this, this month's issue just kind of felt like not all that interesting to me. So that's where I was. I, I think what I know why. It's because it's we're on issue 12, and it's doesn't feel like the story arc has really changed much and it's the same mm. story arc we've been dealing with since issue one and sure john's been dealing with other stuff but the whole thing with bendix and the rising that's has been going on this entire time and it hasn't really progressed much yeah uh so i definitely feel the same way you feel and I, uh, I did say awkward when you were looking for the right word because i i felt a little awkward 
because uh, not only did Taylor not apparently read uh, Williamson's Batman run where Lex proved or showed distaste in Grayson's activities, but he also should really know that Dick Grayson is Nightwing. And if he knows Dick Grayson is Nightwing, he should not be so friggin' trusting that Batman's first sidekick, uh, who has been seen palling around with Superman, uh, a known enemy to Lex Luthor, to just waltz into his office and damn, I totally just forgot plant that. a bug. Yeah, it would not have been. I guess that he does know. Yeah, it should not have been that easy. Sure, oh. he's Nightwing, but Lex was looking right at him. There is no way it should have been that easy. So either Taylor is hiding something uh, mysterious that we're just not seeing yet, or he kind of dropped the ball on that mark. Also, Lex was in the Justice League. Sure, that whole stuff was spiral, where that ended, the whole world uh, kind of forgot that Dick Grayson was Nightwing, but Lex was in the Justice League after that fact. He had access to the databases. He still knows Bruce Wayne is Batman. There is no way he would not know that Nightwing is Dick Grayson. Oh, yeah, nice well, catch. Okay. I totally forgot about that. What were your guys' yeah, numbers? I said seven. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it an eight because I honestly I didn't hate it. it. It was a comic. It, it was something to read. It was, <laughs> it was horrible, indeed a comic. It, it, it was indeed a comic. It, it definitely had its issues, though. Um, Twelve of them, to be exact, but also problems. So <laughs> I'm happy Crypto's back. Crypto's always cute. All right. Especially when so, he lasers a senator and it turns into Dr. Octopus. Right. <laughs> now, um, the whole, uh, maybe I'm missing it, but, um, I mean, there's still Justice League members who don't know the identity of other Justice League members. Uh, so Lex Wait, being what? part of the... No way. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. I, I imagine Ollie doesn't know everybody's identity, but Lex <laughs> Luthor's not. Like he's so crafty. You think the first they, thing he'd do is hack? They the never would have. They never would have got. They never would have let him have access to the computer, especially not Batman. Um, and Lex being two faced with Dick is, for me, to be expected. I mean, not only is he a, a brilliant businessman, let's be honest, but I mean that's just part of his his nature it would be uh work against you behind your back while smiling sweetly to your face and um so i i totally totally 100 bought that hook line and sinker um let me pop out here first uh and say uh the pencils inks colors i thought they were phenomenal i like yeah. keon um i like his work uh second i feel like we have finally gotten a big transition here uh the the build-up part is over um it's been a very long time coming and everything is starting to spill out into the open jay the gamora core the whole nine yards which to me means that things are about to get very hairy and action-packed i'm looking forward to it because i have enjoyed this story so far even though it has been a slow burn and taylor has made me absolutely hate Bendix and everything to do with him. As far as I can tell, within the next few issues, it's going to be time to fuck up the Gamora Core, and I can't wait. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I gave it an 8 out of 10. I, I can see where you're going, that, that stuff is happening, but I don't know. It just, uh, all of it just felt like so. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be blunt, unimportant, really. Like, yeah, there, there are 
big moments with uh, with Jack Kirby quotation marks around the word big moments. Um, but uh, but but they I don't know. To me, they just they they didn't really feel like big moments. They just kind of fall flat. Like I feel like the biggest moment we've had was, uh, you know, maybe the I don't know, like the the death of the what was his name that guy in the rising. That to me feels like the last big moment we've had, and that was a couple issues ago. Everything feels like it's kind of just been treading water since, because like I, I didn't really feel anything compelling when the Kent's house got like destroyed or, or whatever, um, or or when they got moved or something. Because like, oh wait, no, sorry, I, I'm thinking of something else. But anyway, my my point is, I, I don't know. I just I feel like I'm waiting, I'm waiting for something to happen, and I'm hoping this is it. But right now, I'm just kind of thoroughly uninterested in, in what's going on. Okay. <laughs> it has been a slow build, man, and I can't fault people for, for becoming less invested in the run. Yeah, it, it just, maybe, maybe it's because, and this is the last I'll say, um, but maybe it's because uh, um, Philip Kennedy Johnson's time on Action Comics has just been so large in scope, and it's delivering delivering such a such a, a large but um, emotional story that I feel like all of my energy is in that, and I feel like I'm really invested in it, and that feels like it's it's continuously ramping it up and and giving us you know newer bigger moments here and there, um, and then this is kind of just like yeah you know we'll get there eventually. Uh, uh, John is working with the trust now. Cool, right? Like I, I just I feel like I'm I'm waiting for something like that, something that'll really just be like, oh my god, that was insane. Um, and maybe it's the way that it's being delivered. Like there are big moments, but it's you know presented in a really underwhelming way. I don't know. This is all just me speaking personally, but um, yeah, that that's uh, that's where I'm at. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. All right. Well, if we have all given our scores and uh, wrapped up everything that we need to for our main reviews for this week, we are going to shift our attention to our next segment, the one you know and love, our top three books of this week and a favorite moment. So I'm going to pass it over to Rob to kick it off. Okay. Uh, Number three, I actually had a hard time scoring. I'm kind of honestly tossing it up between son of kal-el and jurassic league uh, both were enjoyable and simply comics but jurassic league is just so adorable <laughs> in in character work i don't know for me it's it's interesting uh number two i'm I, telling I the am... dinobots on you sorry i said i'm telling <laughs> the dinobots on you oh not grimlock grimlock is scary <laughs> <laughs> Um, number two, I had I Am Batman. Uh, just a standout book this week for me, and really digging Jace Fox's journey in New York so far. And number one, I had Future State Gotham was actually really good this week. I, I thought it was it was really exciting. I'm happy we're past the next Joker stuff because that that was laughable at best. Mm. Yeah, and not a good laugh. Like hard, hard laugh. It's just fucking awkward, but so best moments uh, uh, I had a hard time picking this too because it was not a lot of standout moments either but one that really stuck out at me was 
uh, cast dreaming of dressing up in espionage gear <laughs> and really a fancy suit that she had while uh, Steph was not very imaginative and thinking, how am I going to fight in a dress where Cass was like all battle ready in a tux? So, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Actually, funnily enough, there is an issue of Red Robin where Tim and Steph team up and fight. Uh, I think they're like ninjas or some kind of people who are trying to kill Leslie Tompkins. Um, and they are wearing fancy attire and Steph is very incriminatingly wearing a dress and fighting. So uh, methinks thou doth protest too much, Stephanie, because I've seen you <laughs> fight in a dress before. <laughs> Liar. You know who should write the next Tim Drake story? Who? You. <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, you know this. I don't know. Like you're you you sat here and you pulled out shit from issues yeah. from like twelve years ago. <laughs> well, it's he's, he's I don't know. The there, I was. Yeah. Well, actually, there there is a personal reason. I, I can I can talk about that off the air because um, there was. Well, I, yeah, I, I can talk about that later because I, I know Tim really well because of yeah of other personal stuff. Um, but yeah, he's he's my guy. He's my guy. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, all right. Well, yeah. Over over to me, I guess. Sorry, I got distracted. Um, reminiscing on the past. Um, no, at number three, I put um, I am Batman. I know I said like it's it's wasn't that interesting, but it's it's not bad. Like I, it's it's fine. You know, it it, it has some interesting elements to it. Um, but uh, again, just as a monthly read, it's it's not as satisfying as I wish it was. Uh, number two, I had Batgirls. Number seven, uh, it's just been a lot of fun. Uh, or this issue was a lot of fun. The last couple issues have been a lot of fun. Um, and I'm, I'm just hoping they keep that energy up. Uh, but number one, I had uh, Sandman uh, Universe Nightmare Country, number three. Um, this book has just been really unexpectedly good um, for someone who's not really big on the whole Sandman Universe area of the, of the DC Universe. This one has just been knocking it out of the park. Um, and I was like genuinely on the edge of my seat uh, reading this, this latest issue. So. Mr. Uh, Agony uh, and Mr. Ecstasy are yeah, just Mr. Agony, wicked cool. Mr. Agnes, Mr. Agony and Mr. Ecstasy are are my new um, my new favorite couple. Honestly, no one <laughs> can tell me true. otherwise. They are absolutely just the the chaotic uh, gay couple, and, and no one can tell me otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as for my right. favorite moment, oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, a favorite moment was also kind of hard to choose. Um, but uh, I'm just going to go with this one because it looks cool. That splash page from Batgirls of Steph and Cass just swinging into the action. It's pretty awesome. Agreed. Mm-hmm. All right. My top three. Uh, coming in at number three, I am going to give it the Son of Kal-El, number 12. It has been a slow burn, and it feels like this is a transitional issue that's about to pop off. I hope I'm right. Number two, I am Batman, number 10. Sick issue, making me fall in love with this book all over again. And number one, just like Brandon, Sandman Universe's Nightmare Country is stellar. It's where it is. If you like the Sandman Universe horror, if it, or horror in general, dude, check this book out. It is definitely worth it. And as far as my favorite moment goes, it is 
crypto coming back, of course. <laughs> Especially after worrying about him dying in Tom King's book. Uh, he was he was gonna make it. <laughs> he was he's like, I knew it, I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it for the good stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't have a clever intro for, for, the, for our next <laughs> segment this week. I forgot to write it down. So, uh, you know, it's time for something bad and smelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the deal. It's the biggest stinker. Roll the clip. <laughs> oh, that's nasty. So, which was your uh, biggest stinker this week? I, I think I, uh, I think I know the answer to both of you, but I'll, uh, I'll wait and see. Oh yeah, it was Batgirls. No, no, it, <laughs> it was Wonder Woman. By yeah. far, hundred. Yeah, I, I almost put Naomi, but I really, really dig the art. So, <laughs> Wonder Woman's definitely making it. It's so weird me saying that I like that issue. Oh, Naomi? Yeah. Really? I, honestly, I haven't read it. I just looked at it so far. Uh, and, oh, God, it's gorgeous. He was going to shit on it without even reading it, guys. Ain't that something? <laughs> <laughs> Open-minded, my I, ass. I, I, you, sir, are certainly not read. Tim Drake. I just anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired of the over-dialogue and the long-winded explanations about shit and the stuff that doesn't matter and the... The teens speak like, 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 Damn. oh my god. My man is broken. He's beaten down. <laughs> Brian Bendis, you've, you've destroyed him. You've destroyed his soul. Oh. That's why I look at it and I don't read it. Brandon, who was your biggest stinker this week? Well, I don't know that I had a biggest stinker, but if I had to give the one that disappointed me the most this week, it would be the DC Pride Tim Drake special. I don't want to say don't go out and buy this book. I, I genuinely do want people to support this book because if I haven't made it clear, Tim Drake is a character that means a lot to me. Um, I don't own him. You know, they have no they they have no obligation to make me happy. Um, but I, I do like to see that you know they're, they're supporting the character. I just I really wish that this story could have been. Um, more of, of what I had hoped it would be, uh, especially for a character like Tim, who has such a rich uh, and storied past um, and deserves, you know, that kind of um, respect to his continuity. Um, but, you know, for those who enjoyed it, I I'm glad that you did, and I hope it, you know, was was uh, giving you exactly what you needed. Um, I would never take that away from anyone. So I do want people to support it. It was just kind of disappointing for me. Fair enough. I don't think it's any secret that with a score of 1 out of 10, Wonder Woman is my biggest stinker. Uh, might be the shittiest score I've ever given in 99 episodes of our DC Comics review show. Uh, I, uh, under the direction of these two, I have no faith in what I have seen them do. We've had multiple issues. Diana scrolling through all of the pantheons of God's to be a total shit show and now we've got it coming back again another total shit show um for me i know exactly where this needs to be <laughs> nice 
on the dump list. Yeesh. And that that's a that's a full on nomination for me. So once y'all read it, go ahead and get back to me because <laughs> I, I'm 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 about to the point where I'm not even gonna. I mean, and this is saying something because I read all of Bendis's Justice League. I read all of Rosmo's Harley Quinn. This has gotten to the point where I'm so disgusted with the character work that I'm I'm just ready to put it away until I see the creatives change on the cover. Yeah, well, in that in that uh, in spirit, with that in mind, do we want to talk about the dump list and maybe some nominations? I don't have anything personally. I mean, for the ones that I found disappointing, I don't want to put them on the list. I want to give them a chance. But it sounds like Wonder Woman is a is a pretty fair contender. For me, it certainly is. Yeah, uh, Rob, what do you think? Uh, yeah, it's it's been consistently inconsistent, and and not really that great. It was only really interesting during Trial of the Amazons, which didn't really help yep. much. So, <laughs> big, big, big letdown. Yeah, yeah. it really is because I I was really into this idea of a new age of Wonder Woman. And I really enjoyed the work that they did on uh, Midnighter, but just not translating well with Wonder Woman. Swinging a miss. I want to flex it again! <laughs> that is unfortunate. Well, uh, are, we, are, we, are we putting this one on the list, or are we uh, going to give it one more shot? I am I'm okay with if y'all want to we can give it one more shot to see how it is I would prefer it was a unanimous decision and we can't achieve that Brandon without you having read the book so I'm going to leave that call up to the two of you I I wouldn't mind Uh, one more go yeah I guess that's that's fair Um, but uh, I mean again like I said the fact that I've got to read this book is already a good sign or not a good sign not a good sign a good indication not, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good sign that this book is in a is, is in a, a bad place so indeed uh, all right well that is our show everybody thanks for listening uh, we will be here at next week talking comics as we always are for our 100th episode, and we have some special stuff coming down the pipeline for that, so we hope you'll stop by. Remember to go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash podcasts to check out uh, for a one-time donation or subscription for access to all of our exclusive stuff. Uh, it's definitely worth your time, and uh, we hope you'll consider it. But with that, there's only one way that we say goodbye around here. Until next time. Be good to each other. And don't be a robot or anti-next gen. Just have a look at it.